News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorker's podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Christina Greer here with Harry Siegel. Hello, Harry Siegel. Hello, Professor Greer. <laughs> Let's jump right in with some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. All right. Let's do this real quick. It's going to rain again this weekend. That will be seven straight weekends of rain. Make it stop. Speaking of making it stop, Eric Adams. (laughs) AI avatar Eric Adams, we learned at a press conference yesterday, uh, has been on the phone with New Yorkers uh, talking Spanish in Mandarin, various other languages. Hola, soy el alcalde Eric Adams. Queremos invitarlo a venir a trabajar con la ciudad de Nueva York y ayudar a hacer que esta gran ciudad sea un mejor. Uh, Adams says this is a, a fine and good use of this new tool to communicate with New Yorkers. Adams, by the way, speaks only English. Uh, we will see. It's uh, it's weird, and frankly, it does not sound very much like Eric Adams' uh, AI You've got more work to do. (laughs) Moving on to somewhat more serious news. Uh, uh, Republican council member in Avernikov, as some listeners will know, uh, came to a pro-Palestinian protest that was held just outside the Brooklyn College campus last week. And she came there with a gun, which she has a license for. Uh, She was counter-protesting. Uh, said protesters. Um, She had to turn herself in the next day to the NYPD, because even though she's a licensed holder, you can't bring a gun to a protest uh, for the purpose of intimidating under New York's now much more permissive gun laws, thanks to the Supreme Court. Uh, That would have been that would have been that and and sort of a side note or distraction story, um, except that uh, Ingrid Lewis Martin, uh, you know, the mayor's closest advisor uh met with uh met with Erna and was photographed having having tea with her uh, uh city hall said uh running city government requires meeting with lots of sorts but as elected officials we should be leading by example and we've been clear that her me- decision to bring a gun to a protest was unacceptable but this comes of course right after Ingrid said uh we need to shut the border city hall had to walk away from that one too so there's some weirdness with what's going on there. Uh, Chrissy, we're going to head right back to that, but I do also want to mention, and we'll also get into, uh, the new policy City Hall announced yesterday, a two-part policy for migrant families, which, by the way, are the vast majority of the migrants who are here. We're not just single adults or, or with children. Uh, those who are presently in city shelters are going to get 60-day notices that they have to leave and then can uh, you know get evicted and can reapply additionally any new migrants who come very shortly are going to be sent families to floyd bennett field and the new big tent that can hold about two thousand people that's getting set up there if this happens and there's some questions for instance if the city can send these notices out to shelters that are overseen by dhs which is where most of the migrant families are uh it seems like they would need state permission to send the notices although they could simply have people leave. So there's some questions here about 
how this will play out and for who exactly and on what time frame. But in brief, the city has announced that it intends to put families into what it calls semi-congregate settings and what on a plan look at them are dormitory settings for the first time since the 1980s. Uh, the city stopped doing this because of legal obligations and also because it was pretty clear that, that there was a lot of space for children to be tampered with and abused when that happened. Uh, but here we are. Chrissy, it's been it's been a, a news whirlwind. Um maybe let's just start with Ingrid for for a moment and and what's yeah happening here. It does feel almost trumpy to me with with who's running things. Yeah, well let's no. I want to scoot back to the AI stuff really quickly just because <laughs> Albert Fox Khan, who's a friend of the podcast, you know, said some great stuff in the city um about this feeling Orwellian and problematic. And I, you know. You know, I have issues with the AI. I think sort of race and tech is going to be a huge conversation that we need to have and probably won't have. You know, I'm still complaining because I can't get water out the faucets when I go to a public restroom. So we have a lot to to learn when it comes to AI and race. But I don't like this idea like of it being the mayor doing this. And I know it doesn't fully sound like his voice. I think maybe I would feel more comfortable if it were just a voice, right? You hire an actor um, whose voice you use, you know, sort of like the sub, the voice of the subway or whatever it may be. But this idea that it's Eric Adams making these robocalls when it's clearly not Eric Adams making the robocalls, I don't understand why it needs to be him. Why can't it just be someone who represents the city? Or don't we have people on the payroll who speak various languages? Like, I don't understand how difficult it is to do spots. We've always done spots in various languages. So I know it's probably faster to do it via AI, but it still makes me very uncomfortable, especially where we are right now and the lack of conversations. I mean, there's, you know, we know that there's not enough gender equity and class diversity and racial equity and, and diversity within this space. So these types of swift moves. And we know that Eric Adams, he's he's one of those people I would call like an early adapter. Remember he took his first two paychecks in crypto? Mm -hmm. You know, I think he likes to sort of do things on the cutting edge, which on the one hand is interesting as a leader, right? You want to be innovative. But on the other hand, it's like this this to me seems a little uh a little scary. Um so there's that. And then Ingrid you know, I just feel like sometimes timing is everything. You know, so it's one thing to have tea with Ina Vernikov, but do you have it right after she brought a gun to a rally to intimidate people? Like, I just feel like it's another way that the administration thumbs their noses to, I think, a large swath of New Yorkers. And it's like, we roll the with picture. Republicans. Yeah, the, the picture. picture. You can have you can have a meeting and be like, let's not take a picture of us raising our tea glasses. Yeah. So it it felt a little like this is what it is, kids. Get into it. And we know that the the mayor was once a Republican. Fine. We know that he has strong Republican sympathies, right? He goes on their podcast, not ours. Um, and we'll, you know, pal around. And listen, some would say he's the mayor of all New Yorkers. He can't just be a mayor for Democrats. Sure thing. But is this the time for you to show your loyalty to a Republican city council member who just got arrested, turned herself in because she brought a gun specifically to intimidate other New Yorkers? Like that to me just seems like poor timing and poor taste. 
that's the title of this episode. <laughs> you know, I mean, because it's like poor timing, poor taste for shutting off migrant families in shelters. Poor timing and poor taste for Ingrid and Ina having tea after this woman has brought a gun to intimidate others, right? Poor timing and poor taste for this AI nonsense where you're essentially fronting like you're speaking, you know, Spanish and Mandarin. Like, what are we doing? So, so part of Adam's argument for that and going back to these questions of uh, how identities are represented uh, from this AI. And of course, there's the whole GIGO, garbage in, garbage out phenomena, where a large language model, learning model that is picking up what it's learning from, from massive human input is going to repeat all the uh, issues of humanity. But Adams is arguing that, that, look, this is a way of having government able to communicate directly with constituents. And in his own voice, and as the uh, second black mayor, and that there's something useful and healthy about that. And to be fair, the AI voice is so slightly absurd, does not really sound like Adams. It's hard for me to really imagine at this point, and obviously the technology can change quick, that many people being like, oh, man, you know, uh, th- 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 that voice was clearly uh, Adams. Uh, although it does give me some credit, force me to give some credit to like Mike Bloomberg, and I reached out to El Bloombido just to see if uh, she, the person behind that feed, wanted to comment here for at least, you know, trying to communicate that way. Uh, this administration, they have in their transcripts, when people speak Spanish, just in brackets, a uh, conversation in Spanish. Yes. Apparently they don't have no one to uh, to translate uh, those parts or, or, or just to, to write them down. Right. I mean, I think, what was that? Was it the Grammys when Bad Bunny won a lot of awards and he spoke in Spanish and people were like, wait a minute, this is the Grammys. Like, how are you just going to put in closed caption, speaking Spanish, speaking Spanish? Like that's, that's wholly inappropriate when, you know, you have a, it's, it's, it doesn't matter if it's not a Latin category or whatever the antiquated terms they still use for the Grammys, but like we clearly need to evolve with our language comprehension and, accessibility and acceptance and all the things. I think a lot of people, not all, I do think a lot of people would agree with that, right? Like we need to be more expansive. But the fact that the mayor has to use his voice, and maybe it goes to that kind of larger ego that we talk in and around on this podcast with the mayor, where it's just like, does it need to be Eric Adams' voice or can it just be a voice? It's interesting, though, also, Harry, I listened to our podcast episode 68 for this project I'm working on when we interviewed Eric Adams when he was then borough president. And it was fascinating the number of times he referred to himself in third person. Now, I've worked on a few things. My New Year's resolutions, right? Patience, not judging Black people who wear colored contacts. And another one is not judging people who speak in third person. But it was really fascinating because it's almost like a disconnect. It's like he's talking about a person that is himself, but there's like a distance there. It was really, I, I implore our listeners to just Google episode 68 when we talk to then undeclared Eric Adams, Brooklyn Borough President. You go to the city.myc and find this episode. We'll have it linked in the notes. But Harry Siegel has some thoughts on Eric <laughs> Adams speaking about Eric Adams and episode 68, uh, going back to uh, Vernikov, 
Um, part of why Adams was there was he was talking a bunch at the time about how good it would be to have law enforcement and retired law enforcement folks bring their firearms with them when they go into houses of worship, to their church, their synagogue, their mosque, uh, whatever is the case may be. That's what the episode and, was about, because it was mm -hmm, after the Pittsburgh massacre, mm -hmm, remember? Yep. And 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 some of those ideas are circulating now. Vernikov, as it was explained to me by someone in contact with her, shit the bed here because she did not know the law, and it's very important if you want to say I'm a white, responsible, licensed gun holder, and I know the law to get that right about not being allowed to bring a gun to a protest for the purpose of intimidation. It turns out she did know you can't bring a gun on campus, as it was expressed to me from someone who'd been in contact with her. But that's really off and embarrassing. When Adams brought this up, and it got a, a fair amount of pushback and controversy at the time, and we spoke with him about this. He also said he'd fire his security detail and carry a gun himself. He since said he would not do that, has not done that. But um, I expect that you're going to be seeing the, the, those arguments coming up again and being raised in, in less ridiculous ways. And that this has something to do with Ingrid and presumably Eric's sympathies with Vernikov at this point, and, or, or if, if not the mayor in City Hall, at least his chief advisor. Uh, the, the, there are going to be strange and interesting conversations with very new firearms laws here that people haven't quite figured out or caught on to yet, but a ton of new applications about whether people can and should need to try to protect themselves and be be, be armed against, uh, against aggressors and against dangers. And the last thing I'll say is, it's probably six months ago now, but there was a survey out about how safe New Yorkers did or didn't feel, and they said they didn't feel safe, and Adam said that wasn't fair. But one of the standout numbers in that was, from memory, but this is, I assure you very close, roughly 70% of New Yorkers said that they were somewhat or very concerned about a mass attack of some sort in the cities targeting a specific group. Mm -hmm. 70%. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of those concerns feel feel elevated and escalated now and i think are going to over this uh this this next stretch of time so you know i'm, I'm holding my breath and hoping for, for the best but we are we're in a a scary new world here yeah well i mean i i definitely think that the level of anxiety for people is on high alert right and i don't i don't see it going down anytime soon, which sort of brings me to a question that, you know, I, I posed to you. This was a question that uh, Bradley Tusk, friend of the podcast and co-creator of the Gotham Book Prize posed, which was, you know, does a city, does this city need a city manager? And, you know, I've always toyed with the idea with my students about should we have a president and a prime minister in the United States? You know, someone who actually gets the work done and then someone who goes around the country and makes sure everyone's feeling good. Um, you know, like, because we're such a, a global nation, we have like some real domestic issues and we have some real international issues. And because we don't have the role, a distinct role of a vice president, it's like, should we have a president, a prime minister and someone who's, you know, kind of like an ambassador of sorts and then another person who's like, in the office getting work done and we don't need to see you, you know, pardoning turkeys and rolling uh -huh. Easter eggs, you know? But I think that there's, I've been kind of thinking about this idea ever since it was posed, which is like, okay, so 
Obviously, the person would be unelected, right? Because having an elected person sort of defeats the purpose, I guess. But like, you know, we sort of lucked out with Bloomberg being a technocrat. Um, and I've become kinder to him in the distance because I, I like some of the long-term planning he did. But it's like, this man's racial and class blind spots were beyond, beyond, right? Shout out to Kathy Black. <laughs> and that appointment, that was a total disaster. So... But I'm like, so how would we elect this person or how would we nominate this person? Is it a committee? Like, but I do wonder if the city of New York, because we're such a global city, needs, I mean, is that the role of a deputy mayor? I guess. Like, is that Phil Banks? I mean, what? Oh, oh no. Is um, he is he the manager? But, <laughs> if so, but, this ragtag team is, is on the outs. Ooh. So I don't know. But, you know, like, Tune into the Phil Banks show every Friday, folks. 22 listeners. <laughs> 22 unindicted co-conspirators. And of course, you're, you're you're welcome on our pod anytime if you'd like to reach a larger uh, invested audience, Mr. Banks. My introduction to Phil Banks was him telling me that Stop and Frisk was a figment of my imagination. You see, I just wrote a column called Eric Adams' is Borough President of the World about his, uh, his trip south of the border, right? And, and there is this split between being on stage and 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 performing as a leader and, and administering a city. I think fundamentally, Bloomberg is exceptional a whole number of ways, not least because his, his wealth just distorts all the yes. ordinary political correct. flows. You're correct. Um but having 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 a, a, a mayor who's able to assign and lead the right people is is pretty central there. Uh Adams has argued he's done that. I think one of the issues is he he is he is very He's a good performer and a good frontman, and he's pretty fast on his feet. And in the course of being fast on his feet, he often seems to be almost making up policy on the fly. Whereas as, as de Blasio, who's like talking through gritted teeth most of the time and just repeating the same script lines and knew exactly what he would and wouldn't say, that was frustrating. This is problematic in other ways. It's hard to let other people actually run your departments and execute the policies you're after and then the vision you've laid out when you're when you're riffing and it, it's impacting what these folks can actually do and and how but like this is plainly a moment for operations um and and, and it's not clear how well those are functioning and at a time when, when the government is shrinking uh when many people are coming in and and there's sort of really unique challenges coming up and just being a, a front person plainly isn't going to be enough at the same time it's really important as that front person that you come out before a storm and say hey here's what's up you need mm -hmm. to watch out and that if you mess that up once which he did and he won't admit he did it but it, you know his implicit response has been pretty obvious that you learn from that and and that you handle that part of the job right too and okay next storm I, i've got to do this i got to have my people out that, that's just part of the drill and so i'm just hoping he's, he's you know, really wants to succeed, has been dealt a tough hand that he asked for, that he's picking up, absorbing, and learning from all these lessons, including the ones he can't publicly acknowledge. Listen, we want the man to succeed. Like, I I do firmly, some, some of my close friends disagree with me, but I do firmly believe that Eric Adams loves New York City and loves Black people. Like, I do. And so I'm rooting for him because, I mean, we're all on this train together. But I think it goes back to the consistent question I, we ask on this podcast, 
is it a problem of communication? Is it a problem of organization? Or is it a problem of both? And I do think that there's a problem of organization because I think de Blasio hired really good people and didn't listen to him. He's like the least smart person in the room and thinks he's the smartest, right? I think Bloomberg hired really smart people, but had some crazy blind spots. He himself and the people he hired. So they're good at the thing that they do, but I don't think that there was enough kind of intellectual diversity around him in a lot of ways. Eric Adams, I feel like the verdict is still out on the team that he's assembled. And I think that Eric Adams knows the city. He knows the city very, very well. He's been in it. He's like kind of like our first real New Yorker president in like a long time, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable, right? Because <laughs> they're used to these kind of Boston-esque, you know, not real New Yorker low-keys. But you said I, you said president, but but we're definitely talking mayors here. We oh, just sorry. had a New York president, and that was a oh, that was sorry, a whole other can of worms. Mayor, <laughs> mayor, mayor, mayor. Oh gosh, what kind of Freudian nonsense? When, let me look through my books, see when I'm scheduled for therapy. Um, so <clears throat> Adams as oh my gosh, yeah, Adams as president. Wow, um, Adams as mayor. I I feel like my verdict, at least, is still out on the team that he's assembled, and this little you know tea party that was last week with gun-toting city council members makes me really question what kind of team he has assembled and what their what their goal is. Um, but then again, it's like, thus far... Part of it's beating back the far left, right? Yeah. And he said this very openly and sometimes got way out ahead of his skis. Like, after communicating, I thought, very well after the terror attack in Israel in a lot of ways... Right after I wrote a thing praising him for a change, he went on MSNBC and said, <clears throat> I saw the DSA people out marching right. with swastikas. It's like, right. Right. no, none of that is, is is true or accurate. It's like you can't help well, himself on some level. This Well, this is Trumpian, right? This is Donald Trump saying on Fox News right after 9-11. I saw terrorists dancing, in the, you know, on rooftops. And it's just, listen. This article that I'm writing that needs to get out of my head and onto paper. But, like, it fundamentally starts with what my grandmother always said. If you lie, you cheat. If you cheat, you steal. If you steal, you lie. They're all the same. If you do one, you do all three. And so it does make me nervous if someone lies, whether it's major or minor. Because if you if you minor lie, you major lie. If you major lie, you minor lie. And if my grandmother's correct, which I know she was in all things... If you lie, you cheat. And if you cheat, you steal. So then that opens up a whole new can of worms. And now I have other concerns about the mayor, his friends, and where we're going as a city. Oh, indeed. And, and just staying with family here for a minute, when uh, Trump started talking about how he saw with his own eyes thousands and thousands of people cheering as that building, the World Trade Center, was coming down in Jersey City on 9-11 which didn't happen, just to be clear. Is that when he said he saw Nancy Pelosi dancing in the streets of Chinatown? <laughs> He's insane. Oh, insane. man, scorecard. But he he did. He insisted he saw it. And then that was when he ended up mocking the uh, disabled Times reporter uh, who'd, who'd asked about it. You know, he just, just lower and lower. And then he tweeted something out, actually Trump, in defense of, of you know, the indefensible, simply untrue stuff he was saying uh, from from my dad, uh, Fred Siegel, who mentioned in passing in an op-ed, Trump called it an editorial, um, 
not even a sentence, a clause about some people celebrating in Patterson, which by, by various accounts was 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 true. And this was like a dozen people. Trump said there were thousands and thousands of people. I saw them with my own eyes, and this thing proves it. Just speaking of, you know, how how why you cheat. Jeez, you know, like one, one thing leads to the next, leads to the next, and this becomes absurd. And to bring this back to Adams, I thought he was perfectly right within his rights and definitely aligned with popular opinion to be like, what is going on with this protest for the Palestinians immediately after the attack that the DSA's Twitter feed put its impromptu on? I thought that, that, that was horribly off. Said, you know, these people need to examine where they're at. I think a lot of them actually did, without again fully acknowledging because politicians don't do that anymore. It's a shame. Mm -hmm. But again, to then go on uh on, on, on national television and just give a, an essentially false narrative of what happened, who put the event on, what people were like there, and so on is appalling. And what's more totally unnecessary. He, he already had the stronger side of this, and and going back to him as a Republican. One of the things he is fundamentally after is stopping those people on the left of the Democratic Party, who I write critically about all the time and in many ways very suspicious of it and in alignment with him. Uh, I think they, they they often don't accomplish what they say they're going to. Uh, and, and that's a real issue. But 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 like this was just such a remarkable cheap shot. And it's an indicator of who your, your, your final enemies are and who you're going to go out of your way and not just take clean hits to uh, target and go after. Right. But I think, Harry, isn't that what we're always talking about on this podcast together? Like, the mayor does something and we're like, okay, like we can work with it. And then it's like, here we go, bridge too far. Like, it's everything, everything, I always joke, it's like, everything's like a Spike Lee movie, like 30 minutes too long, right? So it's like, or like a New Yorker article, I'm like, Wrap it up, B. <laughs> it's like three pages too long. What are we doing? Um, you know, that main article in the New Yorker where I'm like, okay, does it even need to be nine pages? No, you could have done this in six. So I feel like Eric Adams is that where it's like, we're with you. And then he says either one extra thing or does something where it's just like, now I can't be with you. Right? It's like... I'm about to use an example that I will not use. I will text it to you later. <laughs> but uh, subscribe to our Patreon for right? bonus <laughs> dangerous content. Kidding. <laughs> and Chrissy, on that note, for real, yes. we're, we're we're not going to be the New Yorker or Eric Adams. We're going to hit all these <laughs> topics again. Oh my. Um, Think about a Spike Lee movie, and I love Spike Lee. I got to go see that exhibit at Brooklyn Museum. But everything's like. 25, 30 minutes too long. All the last movies. 12 minutes of uh, 25th Hour, which is just a fantastic movie. Fantastic. Like, why? why? <clears throat> Jungle Fever. I'm like, you know what? Edit. Edit this just a little bit. I feel like my favorite Spike Lee movie, though, which is, I think this one is 12 minutes too long, School Days. You know, I love a good musical. It's great. Colorism, you know, HBCUs. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot going on, and I love it. But every single movie is a little bit too long. So I guess that means we need to wrap it up, B. Gone. Bye. FAQ. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. 
Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We also receive support from P&T Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. We're a proud member of the Brookhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com and are affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY's City College, where I am one of the inaugural fellows. Our hosts for this episode were me, myself, Christina Greer, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. Thank you all for listening, joining us, making it this far. Be kind, be cool, be warm, and we'll be back soon with more.